fight And we don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no We don't have to fight Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. It's episode 27 now, and before getting to the content, I just wanted to say that if you're watching this on YouTube right now and you would prefer an audio-only version, it's out there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., and uh, vice versa, if you're listening to this and you didn't realize there was a visual side to the show, then please come check it out on YouTube. Wherever you're watching or listening, I would truly appreciate a subscription from you or um, uh, follow or whatever it may be. So uh, please and thank you. Uh, contact information for the show is just chillpodcasting at gmail.com. Now to the episode. Uh, this is another episode that's made me really, really happy that I decided to broaden my approach here and start doing Zoom interviews as opposed to just in-studio stuff. Uh, I got the privilege of speaking with Biff Naked, who is a musician I've always respected and always rocked out to her jams. And not only was she super nice and down to earth and uh, just a fascinating person, but she's led an incredible life and it's it's left her with uh, an amazing perspective that I'm glad to be able to share this chat we had because uh, it, it left an impact on me and I think you'll all really enjoy it. So thanks for tuning in. Hello. Oh, thank goodness it worked. I had what I usually do because I'm old school. I print out Eric's emails. I print out these emails and then I stick them on my wall with scotch tape <laughs> on my calendar. And so I go to take my th- my paper down and I'm like, oh, it says notes. We'll send the Zoom link. I'm like, oh my god, where's the link? I'm like looking, looking, looking. So hey, the important thing is that you're here. Uh, yeah. And I can relate to the old school. I just wrote all my notes in Sharpie on a piece of paper. So. Oh, see, I just like, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, there's something about the uh, old-fashioned way of living that I don't think that's right. ever yeah. totally let, let go of, you know? Fantastic. Hello. Hello. Um, thank you so much for, for taking the time. First of all, I have to say that right off the bat. Thank um, you for wanting to. Well, yeah, at one point we uh, tagged you on Twitter and you said, oh, I'm so excited. And I have to say that actually helps take some of the, you know, stress down too, because... You never know when you're going to talk with someone, you know, what they're going to be like. You only see uh, that version of them on TV. I see, you know? I see. Sure. Yeah, I guess so, so yeah. And it's the first time I've had to uh, interview someone that I had a crush on in high school. So that's a little extra. I said, well, sorry to ruin it for you today with my uh, exciting look, you know. <laughs> but that's life. <laughs> um, I've always considered myself a fan of your music and your style, actually. I should say that as well. Um, but I have to admit, I was not knowledgeable of like your broader story and your just fascinating life that you've had, to say the least. Um, oh. Well, I mean, there's just so, <laughs> there's so much to get into. Honestly, I couldn't even believe it. I kept reading and just like one thing after the after the other, like, you know, any of these things would have been considered big things in someone's life. And you're just got them stacked on top of each other. So, you know, I don't even know where to begin, really. But um, I guess chronologically, I'll start with just uh, you were born in India. I was very surprised to learn. I, I had no idea of that. And the, you... the first thing I knew about myself. Oh, really? Well, I mean, you know, my parents, <laughs> um, they always told I always knew I was adopted. Um, my older sister is Indian. And obviously, she always knew she was adopted. My adoptive parents are white. And um you know, it was just something that we always knew. It was our, you know, my father basically explained to us it was our birthright. Uh, it was how I identified as a little kid. But also, I was the only Canadian in my family because my birth mom was Canadian. So they never met my birth mom. 
um, it was arranged to their church. Hmm. Yeah, you were adopted uh, by missionaries, right? Yeah, and there, uh, and the Canadian birth mom uh, was a teenager uh, at that time, and and that's how her family had arranged it. Uh, so you know, serendipitous for everyone except my birth mom, I suppose. Um, but you know, it it worked out fantastically, obviously, and uh, my my parents were um, fabulous people. My mom's still alive; she's in Winnipeg. And uh, quite a hilarious, sweet little Minnesota girl. Um, although my parents both became Canadians, and certainly my father passed away a couple of years ago. But oh, I'm sorry to hear. Um, you know, it's okay. Like he he would have been 80, but he just was short, shy of his 80th birthday when he passed away. He had battled um, prostate cancer for some time, uh. so he was in you know he was palliative patient for quite a while, and uh, his wife. Uh, my stepmom was a nurse anyway, so he was able to die at home. Um, but just because my parents were both civil rights activists um, in the 60s and were so passionate about uh, African-American voting rights and the state of the U.S. even back then, I just think now in this year of 2020, um, with so much going on and there's an uprising and an unrest that uh, I wish my father was alive to see because I want to talk to him about it. You know, I, I just know that the conversations that we would have would be, you know, really engaging for me. And I, I know that he would uh, have a lot to say. So that's the only thing um, that I, I wish this year. But yeah, my parents, they were always that way. And so us both being adopted and then they moved back to uh, America from India. Um, and my parents weren't actually doing missionary work there. My dad was a dentist, oh, okay. but because the United Church paid their salary to be there, oh. it, it was, uh, you know, through the United Methodist Church. And basically my dad provided dental work for all of the missionaries that were over there. They had their own, uh, there was, a, there's a bunch of Christian medical colleges that are still in India today that are fantastic learning mm. centers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they moved back to America and had my younger sister. And so the five of us moved to Canada uh, when I was about, I don't know, I would say four. Oh, so that's pretty young then. Because I was always Canadian. I always identified as Canadian. It was, uh, it was, it was fun. It was fun growing up being the only Canuck in my family. Yeah. That's uh, super interesting. I mean, I thought you were Canadian through and through as well. So I was very interested to read all of this. Um, I, I read also, though, that, uh, well, first thing I want to ask you was, that, did the religious upbringing rub off on you at all? or Because you always struck well, me as more of like a Buddhist or something. Well, you know what? My dad always encouraged us and, and my mom too, really to, you know, explore what we wanted to explore in our lifetimes. I think that there was uh, an element, particularly for my older sister, um, you know, they always wanted to keep that Indian culture and, um, you know, some of the philosophies alive for us growing up. We had to watch the movie Gandhi every <laughs> That's Christmas. That's a long one, yeah. Oh, yeah, every Christmas. You <laughs> That's know? like three so VHS tapes. We were very familiar with a lot of the different um, teachings, um, just, you know, whether it was Jainism, Hinduism, Sikhi, you know, Muslim. Uh, my dad was a real theologian. Oh, nice. And he loved he loved religion, and he loved uh, reading every book there was to read. That's how religion um, should be approached, you know. Yes, I mean, I agree. And it sounds are, like you, cool your religion. upbringing was quite counter to you know a lot of extreme 
religious families that are the exact opposite where they're like, no, you're going to do exactly, you're going to believe what we believe. I've always found that kind of yeah. uh, strange to when your children have those sponge like brains to just say, Hey, yeah. here's what you have to believe. It, it seems like it's a spiritual journey that should be done somewhat solo, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. My dad used to accuse me of cherry picking as I got older uh, because he said, you, you're not allowed to cherry pick the, the best things from each religion that you like and make it your own. And I always argued with him and just said, well, you know, all paths kind of lead to God, you know, the way that my mind works and the way I like to envision the world. Um, and even in Christianity, you know, basically, you know, just like, um, I don't know, just, just like uh, Krishna or, uh, you know, or Muhammad, any prophet, you know, Jesus basically was a living example. Mm-hmm. And so, and, you know, the, all of the same rules and moral codes kind of apply in every book you know be nice to people take care of people take care of the sick and the poor and um you know don't lie don't steal don't kill yeah i always thought the same thing it always seems like all these different cultures are are basically a lot of time coming to the same conclusion yeah and the funniest thing is they don't seem to realize it and they seem to focus on the small differences instead and mm-hmm. and alienate each other because oh well you don't believe this this one section or whatever you know yeah. and, uh, and I, I also don't think it's everybody i don't think that everybody is the extreme version of that religion no no not at all face which is of course what we see on the computer and on social media we usually get the you know the the extreme <laughs> well everything's trying to divide us right now on social media that's for sure yeah it yeah it's interesting how we can accidentally curate our algorithm based on what we watch so and i find that it's very different for each social medium actually like my you know my twitter feed is very authors it's a lot of authors and uh, and medical twitter and stuff like that and right now because we've moved to toronto it's very toronto based and then my TikTok is all dogs, all <laughs> dogs or cats. And then Instagram is uh, just a real mixed bag of uh, things that I find inspirational. And, you know, yeah, I don't. I still find it a bit it. creepy when you're talking about something and then a, an ad for it comes up in your feed. Oh, like that's very interesting. Yes. And that's I, weird. And that's, yeah, that's new. I, I have I yet to implement a, a Google Home in my house. It just creeps me out. Yes. Same. My parents love yeah. them. My kids love them, but I just can't do it. I'm yeah. a, you know. I'm an anxiety-ridden person with OCD, so it's a lot too easy for me to fixate on what what could be going on if I put that in my house, you know? Yeah, it is a little. It's a bit much. I agree. I don't have I don't have that either. Well, I saw a um, a funny joke, like a, a cartoon that was sort of illustrating that point, or maybe it was a meme. I can't remember, but it said, um, um, you know, showed in the '70s, like, oh, I hope no one's tapping my phone. And then right. it showed modern day, hey, wiretap, how do you make a strawberry pie? Like, That's right, <laughs> you know, just yes. how it's changed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, sticking with your youth a bit, uh, I wanted to, to sort of explore, because I heard that you had dealt with a lot of, like, childhood beatings from girl gangs. Well, you know. bullying they, in general, I guess. Yeah, I think that, yeah, it's pretty funny how it used to be. I mean, in any, you know, any Gen X person or older will probably say that they were you know they had schoolyard fights and stuff like that and you know they got their ass kicked in the schoolyard and stuff like that and that was a reality it still is uh, for a lot of people but now you know teachers and and parents recognize bullying a little more anyway 
Well, uh, now it's probably it worse because they can do it exactly online as well yeah. as in school. But back in the day, we just got, you know, our asses kicked. We got pushed into lockers or we got our punched in the back of the head in the bathroom or whatever. Yeah, you know, or you get a swirly or something. I tell it to you now and I just think if I had a kid and this happened to them in school, I would be like so outraged. I would like, you know, be violently outraged. And uh, I remember at the time my parents were very disappointed in me for getting my ass kicked because they just basically said, you need to be a better mediator. You need to be more of a loving person. You need to be, you know, we're going to go to the principal and you should be suspended. And I, I remember just being like, how dare you betray me, parents? Like, how <laughs> could you? But the truth is, you know, that was probably the best thing that they could have said to me. Uh, and, you know, they, I come from a family that prays for, basically they pray for their enemies, and, you know, if hmm. you can put it like that. And it was like, you know, yes, I do need to be a better mediator. Yes, I do need to, um, you know, fi- find a way to... Uh, you know, kill them with kindness to let, to let my heart lead or whatever the case. And it didn't always work. You know, I was an adolescent, so I was terribly flawed. Um, but I tried age, and yeah. I, and I still try to do that. I, I, it's interesting how it has changed because I remember even when I was in, I want to say grade nine, just starting high school, which would have been like 98 or 99. Mm-hmm. Um, they were still doing like initiations where the seniors would make the kids push pennies up the asphalt with their nose and stuff like that. And you can't, you yeah. wouldn't see that nowadays, but that no. was, you know, not, you know, 20 years ago, a little bit more. So yeah, it's, even it's kinda... like frosh week, even first week of school for college kids. I mean, you know, every band in Canada will tell you that every September, we all toured playing every frosh week at every university because they had these, you know, keg parties and they had these and all the, all the bands were sponsored by cigarette companies. And, and, you know, we all got to play frosh week. I don't think they even have them anymore. No, probably not. There's just too much. Certainly not. <laughs> yeah. And these kids were, you know, they were getting alcohol poisoning and I'm sure there were uh, lots of very untoward behavior. Or violent yeah. Behavior well, probably sexual reject. assaults and stuff yes, like that. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, it's so, Things are different. Things are very different. Strict bullying, though, I've always found just so interesting because, especially as an adult, um, it's so easy to recognize that bullies are almost always just like people with really messed up insecurity issues and uh, and lack of love in their life and stuff like that. And I have found, even as an adult, um, like I do comedy and musical comedy and stuff. So in the comedy world, guess what? You meet a lot of pushy dickheads and um, you can kill them with kindness a lot of the time. I just find if you just keep like being that positive (laughs) <laughs> you know, whatever. Yes. It gets annoying relentless. at first, but then it wears them down after a while, you know? Yeah. And relentless optimism, I always say, is the key to everything. Um, I want to ask you, because I know there was a time in your very early 20s where, uh, to put it kind uh, you know, roughly here, shit hit the fan in your life, from what I've been reading, um, where you were, you know, um, developing an eating disorder and uh, it sounds like doing too much drugs and, and stuff like that. But then it sounds like there was a, a pretty big transformation not that long later because you, it, you went straight edge and, and became vegan and got into yoga. So I kind of wanted to know what, what caused that transformation and what set you in that direction? What was the catalyst sort of for, you know, reinventing yourself, so to speak? And if any of my facts are wrong here, please, please. Um... Oh, yeah. My eating disorder didn't really come into play till I was in my 30s. 
And also oh, okay. it was unrecognized like a lot of eating disorder or disordered eatings are. Uh, but as far as drugs go, I never really did uh, smoke too much pot or hash or anything like that in, in high school or junior high. We drank uh, a little bit like every other kid in our school. Um, but I, I didn't really get into drugs until I moved to uh, British Columbia. Uh, you know, the height of the grunge era. Yeah, there's all a of scene my, for it there for sure. All of my peers and all of my uh, musicians and bandmates, a lot of them were doing drugs and they were uh, using heroin. Um, and yeah, absolutely. You know, I experimented for sure. I called it a flirtation. Uh, but I was just very, very fortunate. You know, people believe in guardian angels. I don't know why I didn't croak. I don't know why. Why didn't I croak? I can't say. Wow. Uh, I should have many times. But in this day and age, you know, the drugs are different uh, and life is different. But we were on welfare and we did drugs. And uh, there was just a day that I, uh, I knew that I could never do it again. And it was really difficult. And uh, it involved me kind of breaking away from the scene that I was in. Uh, I didn't really choose to go straight edge until I uh, met a couple of straight edge people that were huge mentors for me. They're huge influences on my life. And, and I always say Gail Greenwood uh, from the band Belly was playing in L7 at the time okay. uh, that I met her. And Chai Pig, may he rest in peace, introduced us. And so... I mean, I'd never met anyone who was, uh, like, not in person, really, who was a straight edge. And, I mean, I, I followed a lot of Hare Krishna punk bands and Shelter and Chrome Eggs and a lot of uh, people that I, I admired, but I'd never really met or become friends with anyone uh, who had never had a drink or a drug in their life and hmm. was still the most cool, athletic, creative human being I'd ever met. Uh, so that, for me, was the catalyst for it, and I... Uh, I know in hindsight, I could not have had the career that I had and still continue to have to this day had I not quit drinking and doing drugs. There was just no time for a girl, particularly. And I really identified as being a girl who had a job. It was my responsibility um, really not to, um, not to ever let my guard down, you know, in a world full of men and mosh pits mm. and whatnot. And a lot of the girls that I did meet in that scene, um, you know, were very, uh, they were very easily seduced and, uh, and I did not want to be misinterpreted for a minute. So I knew I couldn't drink alcohol for sure because I had one teaspoon of beer and I'm way too friendly, a uh, <laughs> popular girl in high school. Um, but I just knew I couldn't drink. So that was really something that was already uh, underfoot. Okay. And with drugs, it was easy because if you don't drink alcohol, or at least for me, uh, my judgment wouldn't be impaired that I would do drugs at the mm -hmm. end of the party like everyone else is doing. So that was kind of why that happened. And, uh, and really, it was, uh, it was the best course of action I could have ever taken, you know, to be able to be professional. Uh, becoming yeah. vegan was really natural progression uh, from being vegetarian. I became a vegetarian kind of by accident, but also, you know, as I became like 20 and 21, I just started making my own decisions about what I wanted to eat. And I just, you know, I just couldn't. It was just like cows and pigs are cute. Yeah. I don't want to do it. And I'm, I never, I'm in the same boat, sort of. Yeah, it was just like really simple. It wasn't difficult or anything. It just kind of happened. And my first husband, who was the drummer in my band at the time, he was a vegetarian, and uh, and that was just easy because he was a vegetarian, and we ate a lot of hummus. Yeah, if you're in a couple, for sure it helps. Yeah, yeah and it just kind of went from there. I never ate cheese anyway, 
Oh, no? Never. See, I that's never the opposite it. for me. I, I can't oh. take the full uh, vegan plunge. I, I, I guess you could call me a pescatarian because I'll have like a tuna sandwich once in a while. But uh, generally, I don't. I haven't eaten pork or beef or chicken or any of that stuff in like a decade. You're um, on the right path. I mean, and that's the thing, you know. Cheese and eggs, man. Oh, that's hard to give up. Yeah, I don't know. Like just, yeah, I never ate, I never ever ate cheese, even when I was young. Not really. So it was eggs though? Anything. I always find eggs. I didn't I can't... eat them. No, eh? Not really. Like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a difficult thing. And I have a lot of friends who are vegetarians who can't give up cheese. And I'm like, you must be wealthy. Yeah. Because, you know, you like all these expensive cheeses and stuff. Whatever. I, I could never do it and I never did. I've always tried to be that person, um, you know, who just kind of, I live and let live. And that's, uh, I know a lot of abolitionist vegans who don't agree with that. And that's cool. That's, uh, but yeah. I just, I just know, I just know all kinds of people. Like for me, the way I eat and being a vegan is kind of like part of my religion more than anything. And so I, I just kind of look at it like, yeah, I'm not going to press my religion on anyone. Yeah. That's you know, exactly. Again, if I'm not. Can I'm not be an example. Then, fantastic. Um, yeah. Again, I'm not vegan, but I, I feel the same way that like my my view towards it is like I don't kill this animal, or I don't want to eat this animal because I didn't create its life. But I feel the same way when I look at a person who maybe decided to eat meat. I say, well, I didn't create that person either. So what gives me jurisdiction over them? You know. Um, so sort of the live sure. and let live mentality. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. You know. And. Uh, yeah, and with, a, with having a disordered eating, I didn't really know that I had an eating disorder until I was in my 30s and going through chemotherapy, mm. really, because it was, you know, it was a nurse that brought it up to me. Uh, you know, being on, on chemotherapy, a, a lot of things happen to your body that are not normal, things you've probably never experienced before. And for me... Uh, when I started chemo for breast cancer treatment, I gained 35 pounds in two weeks. Oh, geez. You know, and that's hard on your lymphatic system. And it's, oh, it's just hard to do. It's really hard to do. It was uncomfortable. Uh, and it never went away. And uh, all I wanted to eat, there's a, there's a stage that happens um, called neutropenia. Basically, your, your white cells may dip down to like, you know, death. And then they make a comeback. And I found that I was so hungry, starving hungry. My cells were so hungry. All I wanted was yams, cooked yams. <laughs> and I ate so many yams. I ate yams. I ate like... Not what I was expecting. Rice and yams. And like, and I just started like getting super healthy and gaining weight. And, uh, and I never looked back. And I, nice. the more I went on, I realized... I think that whenever I was stressed out, I would fast uh, my entire 20s and 30s. And, you know, I think that in hindsight, I kind of go, yeah, because it empowered me or because it made me feel like I could control something. And yeah, that's something I, I that fast I as to, well and I get that. I need to examine that. I need to unpack that because I think that in hindsight, um, there was a lot of disordered disordered behaviors. And uh, yeah, I think that, you know, I, I can't speak for for guys. Uh, but I know for me as a, you know, cis gendered female, uh, I was very much um, prone to being, you know, very uh, anxious about my appearance and, and my weight and stuff like that. And yeah, if I was stressed out, I would just not eat a thing. Hmm. 
Because a lot of people are the opposite, the stress eaters, you know, they cram everything. Yes, and they call it comfort eating or yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And yeah, I think that we all do that. I think for me at the time, you know, in the 90s with a lot, and perhaps it's true with a lot of uh, uh, female performers in the 90s. Maybe it's true today too, I can't say. Um, But yeah, there was a real emphasis on on being thin. (laughs) And so I was very very conscious of that all the time and because i was vegan anyway i think that it was kind of easy uh to fuck around with that i mean we'd be in eastern europe on tour for 10 weeks and there would literally be nothing for me to eat you know that i could find i couldn't find an apple i couldn't find it to me you know the the band would have beer and boiled meat and boiled dumplings and then they'd be like there's nothing for you to eat i'm like that's cool i'm good and that's kind of how it started um, so how do, you, how do you perform during like when you're not putting any fuel in the system, you know? Oh, I would eat hot air popcorn. Oh, okay. So you're putting, oh yeah, up. no, I traveled with a hot air popcorn. Maker. Okay, okay. Oh yeah. And I drank juice. Like I would, I mean, I would come off of a tour with cavities, so oh. many cavities in my teeth that my do- my dentist thought I was a puker. He thought I was throwing up because my teeth were so, um, yuck they were getting cavities and it was from all the orange juice literally all the orange juice and all the all the uh watermelon bubble gum probably <laughs> that'll do it yeah <laughs> and all the blow pops but you know yeah, a lot of people slurp down juice and they forget how much sugar yes. it actually has in it <laughs> well, yeah you gotta brush your teeth <laughs> oh yeah and floss too i've learned that in my 30s yeah um Wow. That's a lot to unpack. Yeah. I, I want to say regarding the drugs, thank God you did quit because, you know, especially heroin, it took so many great musicians during the nineties, especially. So That's I'm so glad to see you weren't on that list. Um, yeah, you. you brought up your cancer, which I was obviously going to get to, um, happened in 2007, you were diagnosed when you were 37. And, uh, the interesting I, thing I read, which I couldn't believe was that it happened a week after your honeymoon. Yes. Uh, that must've been kind of a, a bombshell. Not for me, only for well, him. Yeah, for, for yeah. your newly betrothed. You know, it was very interesting times. I mean, any of us can look back uh, a decade later and know for sure all of the things we would have done differently. Mm. And for sure, I'm sure uh, there are a lot of things that I would have done differently. But I, I used to say breast cancer was the best thing that ever happened in my marriage because it was the best part about my marriage. And that says it all. Hmm. Uh, I think that... Um, you know, I, I feel badly uh, about it now because I think that, yeah, it, you know, in hindsight, I can look back and say, maybe we just weren't really that suited. Maybe we weren't compatible. Uh, I was definitely a different person. I was, you know, more immature, more sensitive, all these things. And, and perhaps the same can be said for, for him. But, um, yeah, definitely having a new relationship. Because uh, we didn't know each other that well when we got married. I was engaged 13 times before I married really? him. So that's, 13, I'm a wow. yes, I'm a yes person. I'm not a no person. Um, and so as a result, um, I think that, I, I just think that it was, uh, you know, it was doomed from the start. It really was. And I think that breast cancer shows us any cancer or any health crisis any trauma situation like yeah, that yeah. a car accident or a death in the family anything like that that is a stressor uh is going to show us who we are uh but it also shows us who everyone else in the room is as well yeah and uh i think that human beings are very um very flawed very yeah. flawed myself included and i think that we don't 
know what we're doing most of the time. We have no clue. We're just like just barreling forward in life. Yeah. I think that me having breast cancer was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it brought me into uh, volunteering. And uh, the whole time I was in chemo, I was a peer-to-peer volunteer for other patients that were in chemo. And that's uh, something I never would have had the opportunity to do had I been just on tour, still doing bulldog fights, still just always traveling and not home, doing chemo and and having all those experiences. And now, uh, I mean, you know, it's it's something that I I love doing. I, I, I feel like it's, some people are just built built for it, you know, and some people are built for hospital volunteering in particular or being medical chaperones or being medical translators. My fiance is an ICU nurse, so I, I hear the stories some, from her job. Yes. And, ugh. and she's cut out for that. You know, yeah, oh, some course, people yeah. are just, they're built for it. And, uh, you know, like anything. And, yeah. and I think that I never would have discovered that I had a real passion uh, for that kind of work had I not experienced it firsthand and i really believe that having a lived experience helps inform my efforts as a volunteer yeah i uh, read some quotes from from patients that had interacted with you during that time and it was just beautiful to read and it it brought me some uh some comfort because i definitely one of my biggest general phobias in life is death and dying um simply because i just overthink everything and, and not knowing what's next really does just perplex me to a point of, of insanity <laughs> um but also you know the, the thought of dying and the pain that's usually associated with it it's all quite terrifying if you let it get to you you know so whenever okay. i see somebody um not necessarily embracing death but accepting it and then trying to make the best of the situation still and bring positivity to others it's just really admirable you know mm-hmm. i think that's cultural and i think it is across the board with a lot of people they associate death with pain Mm. and uh that's not always the case you know there's uh there's a lot of different and and we're in this age of uh amazing internet you know there's so many organizations uh the home hospice organization is one that i love Uh, they offer lots of different training and courses and information there's also the good death uh there are death cafes now in every uh, city and community. Well, and in Canada, now you can at least uh, choose assisted suicide too. So that's nice. Or at least in Ontario. I don't know if it's yeah, the same. It's a, and that's a, that's, a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. But yeah, yeah it's, really, uh, it's, really, it's really interesting and amazing. I mean, and as we all get older, our parents are all getting older. Yeah. And uh, the, the largest part of the population is getting older. So things are definitely changing in that area and in that uh that a general i guess uh facet of our life our life our lives have so many different facets so many phases of our life mm-hmm. and uh i mean hopefully we will all uh live to ripe old ages you know happy lives and every you know perfect world everyone can pass away in their sleep you know dreaming yeah, know. and peaceful you know that's um, fo- funny you say that because i've always thought about doing a joke about that actually because they always say oh she passed away peacefully in her sleep unless you were there how do you know yeah. she didn't wake up at three in the morning like gah, 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 you know like terrible right. pain so i think that's sure. a bit of a misleading thing to say who knows i also think that that's a that's a joke that's important to share you know because humor helps us cope and it also informs and helps everyone else in the room it helps the audience also cope 
with the so same true. thing that might be unspoken. And, and comedians are really, uh, they're actually wizards. Comedians are all emotional wizards because, and that's why they're funny. You know, it gives us an opportunity to laugh at, at things that do make us uncomfortable or scare us. That's why they're funny. Yeah, and that's why some of them are really dark, but it still works, you know? Yes, exactly. You have to push that, that envelope. Um, yeah. I have a couple of sections of things I wanted to talk to you about. One is all the new stuff coming up uh, that you have coming down the pipeline, which is very exciting. But since you just mentioned stand-up, I want to hit up one of my fun questions, which was that I heard you dabbled in stand-up at one point. I never dabbled in stand-up ever. Uh, I always on the dreamt, I dreamt of being a comedian. Uh, when I was in high school, I thought that I could go into stand-up comedy, of course, like a lot of drama kids i was in drama class never choir i never wanted to be a musician ever really? uh, what didn't occur to me until i was cast in the school musical much to the chagrin of all the other students <laughs> that auditioned uh, who were actually in choir and could sing i still can't sing you know but you know as I, taught, as I taught everyone you don't have to sing to be in a punk rock band um but i think that um you know i think that part of being a performer is being able to hopefully be self-deprecating enough that you laugh at yourself yeah. uh, and be able to, to bring that humor. Don't take yourself too seriously, you know? Yeah, and I, I've met a lot of different performers who are singers and stuff who really should have gone into comedy. And comedy uh, is my favorite way to spend an evening. Oh, yeah, going to a live comedy, comedy show is always yes. a blast. Even it's if it's not fantastic. the best night, it's still yeah. a good night, you know? Yeah, it's really, it's really great. Um, okay, I'm going to keep going with these fun questions. Yes, um, please. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about you? I don't know. You know, social media is so um, tr uh, transparent. People can see. Uh, I, people can see. My manager stopped following me on Instagram. He said that I was too um, corny and too. Oh, I like your posts. They're always so positive. Then in the morning, he's like, "Oh, it's kill you're killing me," and I laugh. I just do my thing. And um, when I was a young performer. Uh, my managers used to tell me never to talk between songs really? ever. They said, you're just going to, you're going to give it all away. People think you're tough. You're banging your head. You're coming with these songs. Oh, it'll ruin the facade sudden, or whatever. And I did ruin it every time. Thank you so <laughs> much for coming. Oh my God. I love you. <laughs> you know, and uh, that's who I am. I'm effusive. And most people uh, who see my social media feed and stuff like that, they can see right through me. I am a hugger. I am effusive. I love emojis. Anyone who gets an email from me knows that all I am is emojis. Um, and that's just how it is, you know? And I don't You're a very positive person. <laughs> how can we not be? The fact that we wake up every day. Yeah, you know, right. And have clean drinking water. I mean, period. For real. Yet, how can we not be? Yeah, it's so true. That's a great perspective to have. Not everyone has it, unfortunately, but. Yes. Um, I know you're a huge lover of animals and uh, an animal rights activist. And I wanted to know other than, I know you love your dogs. Um, so let's say not domesticated animals, but is there any wild or exotic animal that you would consider to be your favorite? Oh yeah. I love all animals. Obviously. I think that there are, I think that there's still poaching that goes on uh, to the point of extinction for so many different species. It kills me. And there are so many interesting interesting animals like hippos i love hippos well they're so dangerous and, well they are dangerous you <laughs> know they're cool. very, yeah they're dangerous for sure but they're just like you know they have like little stray hairs all over and yeah. they're, like, so they're kind of dorky looking yeah yeah and there's you know if you ever want to 
see a guinea pig that looks like a hippo, they're out there too. It's just like, I love hippos. That's cool. That's a cool choice. <laughs> I love them. Yeah. I, I like, uh, probably chameleons is my favorite for the same uh, yes. reason. They're just such a weird animal. They can see, yeah. you know, 360 and they got those weird hands. Yes. Um, okay. Next fun question is if you were to put together a musical super group, just vocals, guitars, bass, and drums, who would it be? Oh my God. That's kind of putting you on the spot. I'm <laughs> I know, boy. I'm like, holy mackerel. A super group. Wow. Yeah, there, there's a million <laughs> answers I would have. I would say, um, oh my God, who would I say? You don't want to leave you know, someone Of course, out, I yeah. want to be in it. So I'm like, but I want to be in no, it. No, living or dead. It could be, oh yeah, not including yourself, obviously, but oh. it could be, you know, someone who's passed. I think that they're... Um, I would love to be, uh, yeah, I would, love, I would love to be in a band with so many people. I think there's so many super groups uh, that can be there. I don't know. I like That's so many question. people. Yeah, I know, but I want to answer it because I, I like so many people. I started um, thinking of it myself and I was like, this is pretty tough. I, on vocals, I had picked James Brown just because I love James Brown. Oh, interesting. Uh, That's but, very uh, interesting. Bass, I was going to have uh, Eric Wilson from Sublime just because uh, oh, very he nice. it down. Yes, uh, he does. John Frushanti from the Chili Peppers on guitar, probably. And uh, I don't know, good. maybe John Densmore from The Doors on drums because he was a jazz drummer first. Wow. But the only thing I don't like about that group is the lack of diversity and no women. So I was kind of... I see. Well, see, I thought that I like Mastodon as the band and then with Skin from Skunkanesi as the singer. Oh, so swapping out a front man. Okay. Uh-huh. Or, I mean, or just adding... Adding adding in, yeah. yeah or it's like you know like also cover bands i mean i love cover bands like why can't there be like an abba cover band with like all metal guys or hardcore I bet guys? there is check the internet you never know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right for sure yeah there's so i love so many bands i love so many different bands but i figured it might be a tough question um it is but it's a good one yeah, well, think about it. You can always email it. I will. Yeah. I will, and I'll tweet you. As soon as I start coming up with it, I'll tweet you. For sure. Um, yeah. Okay, well, I don't want to forget some of your new stuff you have coming up, so uh, let's get to that. First of all, the newest single, Jim, which I watched, which, first of all, it was awesome because it just reminded me of, like, the music videos you used to get on Much Music, you know? just Oh, good. Really great quality and cool effects and definitely a breakup song if I've ever seen one, I'm guessing. It yes. seems like it's got that vibe, but uh, people should definitely go check that out if you haven't. It's on YouTube. Um, so when can we expect that album is sort of what I was really wanting to get at. Well, you know, we never had a release date for Champion. What I originally Champion, yes. did, Thank you. Uh, we had uh, the first three singles mapped out. Jim was the first single, and it doesn't sound like anything else on the record. And that was partly why I wanted to lead with it, because it was so different. But it would be unexpected. It was kind of unexpected the way it was. There were a lot of big swells and it was very emotional and dark. And, um, you know, the video was mysterious. Yeah, it was a cool uh, track. The next two singles we had originally intended for like May and August are, you know, loose because we get to pick, you know, basically. Um, but there was a lot that was happening. And I just, yeah. I just felt like, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel right taking up that space, like literally. And, and yeah. I still feel that way uh, in, in many ways. Uh, so in one way, it was good because we didn't have a release date for Champion. We were just kind of loosely saying fall. And then when our uh, tour with Buck Cherry 
was postponed. It was supposed to be April, May, and it got postponed to the fall. Then I thought, well, see, that's better because then we'll have, you know, new product out. And yeah, let's, do it in let's tandem, some, yeah. Let's pepper dates around that tour and also do the whole country and this and that. And then, you know, as time went on, things just got, like, more and more insane. And, and now it's hard to imagine that there will ever be mosh pit shows again. Right, yeah. Um, Although I do think, like Fight Club, there are lots of hardcore and underground shows that have always been going on, New England and uh, other places. They're, they're going on every weekend. It's not so um, great during the pandemic, though. Of course they are. Yeah. Know, just like the parties are. You know, yeah. Just because we don't know that they're happening doesn't mean they're not. And in fact, they're probably happening more, just like, you know, just like everything else, just like porn, just like everything else is happening more. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So with Champion, um, it, it enabled us to be able to revisit our mixes, which we did last weekend with Doug Fury down in London, um, and have even, you know, grander ideas for some of this instrumentation and stuff. So it gave us a chance to, I want to re-sing a couple lines here and there. Yeah, put it out when, it's, when it's, you think it's it gave finished, us you know? It gave us a chance to tweak it. Nice. So yeah, maybe by the end yeah. of the year, people can help though? I hope so, you know, um, yeah, I hope so. And again, it has to feel right. And it has to feel like uh, I, I don't want to take up that space. I don't want to take up the bandwidth uh, yeah. in, a, in a world where we need to just, you know, kind of make room for other voices uh, a lot of the time. And, and, you know, maybe it's not about, you know, maybe it's just not about my songs right now. Maybe it should be about other things that are bigger. That's noble. You know, not to just be the, the selfish celebrity and, and make it all about you. You know, you're recognizing there's bigger things at play. That's, that's very noble. Well, it just, it just doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel like the right timing. We have uh, our first couple of shows coming up. We're playing in North Bay for their Pride, uh, which is very exciting. It's going to be the weekend awesome. of the 18th, 19th, and 20th of September. Our show is virtual, even though we're going to physically go there. Um, so it'll be on the streaming on the internet. We may or may not do an announcement this week for a special streaming performance uh, that's before then. Um, and then, yeah, they're going to do another announcement for our uh, show that we've got coming up at the end of September. Cool. So slowly but surely it is starting uh, to, you know, to reveal that there are opportunities for us to perform. So that's really, that's exciting. Yeah, it must be fun to be getting back to it. It is. Um, you also have a poetry and cartoon book coming up called Razorblade Chewing Gum. I do. It's that I'm very excited for, to learn more about. Finished for a whole year. <laughs> so is this like, uh, you know, like something like The Far Side or one of those types of comic strips? Or? No, not at all. So what it is, is Razorblade Chewing Gum is a, a just filthy prose and poetry. Um, it's, it's just a collection of... Uh, um, five streams of poetry that I had written. And then I pepper it with some cartoons. I have always been a, a little cartoon journalist, I guess you could say. So I'd probably have, I don't know, 2000 cartoons from, oh, wow. uh, you know, 30 years of touring. And uh, some, of them are, some of them are garbage, you know, that I wouldn't share with anybody, but some of them seemed like they would be a good fit for, you know, it, in between some of these poems that are sometimes kind of heavy, sometimes a little too personal. Um, but, you know, I've never, I never tried to put out a, uh, 
a poetry book before. So it, it was a labor of love for sure. And that's maybe later this year too, or? From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> okay. Nice. I'll keep an eye out for that. Um, okay. the, the other thing on the horizon that I was really excited about was the Mona Lisa healing CBD tinctures. Yes. You're getting into that market is super exciting. And I saw you were even going to be doing like discounts for vets and cool stuff like that. So um, absolutely. I don't know if you could just tell me more about what's sort of coming so, down I mean, with that. Ultimately, you know, with, with CBD, it was impossible for me not to pay attention as someone who's, you know, been a long time into wellness and, and fitness and, and different healing properties and stuff. I love um, plant medicines. And being in the cancer community, I learned a lot about people who utilize CBD. And at that time, I mean, you know, a decade ago, it was mostly like tinctures. Well, there was and that now, Rick Simpson guy, right? With the hash oil. From oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's a lot of different popular things that a lot of my fellow patients were always utilizing anyway. And so when my friends started developing Mona Lisa Healing, um, I was very intrigued and very interested. Um, my dogs had both passed away. They were both senior dogs. Um, but I wish that I would have been giving them CBD. I've seen it absolutely transform uh, the lives of pets. And uh, what we're doing now is getting ready to launch in America. We partnered uh, as a business partner with PETA, which is People for the Ethical Treatment of, of Animals. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's the most important factor, um, you know, to be able to provide something that's cruelty-free and to be able to know 100% that it's cruelty-free. Everything that we buy on the internet, there are no guarantees where it's made. There's no guarantees what it actually is. And, uh, and it, it drives me crazy because well, I just Even think, the phones everybody buys, doesn't the, um, the cobalt comes from like really bad situations in Africa or something like that. That's what I had heard. Yeah. Illegal um, mining operations. And stuff I'm like not that. surprised. And I'm sure that's very Child true. labor probably. Yeah. yeah. And, and if we, you know, if we dig deep enough, we can, like you say, we can, we can find that information on anything. And same with all the edibles and the CBDs. Like with, with marijuana and with the Cannabis Act in Canada, it's a little frustrating for someone like me um, and probably a lot of other companies. I mean, I personally think that CBD should be, a food supplement, yeah. you know, like coconut oil or like oil of oregano. Yeah, they should be able to sell it at anywhere. Yes, yeah. but, but that's not the case. And, unless, uh, you know, there's just a lot that is just so much. It's just so frustrating. So, uh, but it's, it's absolutely 100% legal in most of the United States and, uh, and in Europe. And I think Canada will get, get their act together, you know, when it's more of a priority and then they'll uh, have it available for more people. And, and it's growing every year. I mean, Shoppers Drug Mart now will help you with your medical marijuana prescription, for example. And I mean, we never thought we would see that day. Oh yeah. Uh, I remember so in high school wishing for those days and here yeah, they are. Yeah. I mean, it, and it really does help a lot of people. So it's, uh, it's really exciting. Yeah, I'm actually uh, tonight going to head over and try to get some of the, the balm, the topical stuff, because my, I have really bad wrists. Um, I've, I don't know if you know what a ganglion is. I it's do. Like, yeah, so I, I had one on each wrist surgically removed at different points, but because wow. of that, it left me with kind of like um, weak wrists. Sometimes I get tension sure. in my um, tendons and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So when I play a bunch of guitar and I got shows to do this weekend, I'm a little nervous because, you know, it starts cramping up real bad. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. That, so we'll see. That, Hopefully that works. Definitely CBD oil or, or the bomb. Even the CBD oil direct. Just a lot of people I know. But they also put it right on that spot. Like oh, yeah? Me, I'm still recovering from my broken wrist. Oh, yeah. Shit. So, Glad yeah, to see it's it doing like, better. 
it's exciting. How did you do that again? It was biking or something? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, and it makes me laugh because after I was done with my chemotherapy, um, you know, I was still, you know, pretty young and, and my oncologist said, well, you're probably going to have osteoporosis. And I was like, wow, okay. And I got rid of my snowboard. I donated my skateboard and all my rollerblades and all, you know, this stuff. And then yeah. moved to Toronto and of course got really involved and into BMXing. Uh, it never occurred to me, of course, that, you could that I could <laughs> ever get hurt. Uh, but now, you know, now that it's getting better, um, and I can take my cast, I have a cast that I can take off periodically during the day. So, um, it's changed a lot, you know, it has changed a lot, but now I'm, I'm still obsessed with roller skating. I want to, um, I can't, I don't think I want to do derby, uh, but I could rest. Oh, so real roller skates then not roller blades. Yeah. Roller skating. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that's my next. Goal. I always thought they were cooler. They're just so much fun. Yeah, rollerblades always just looked kind of weird to me. They always looked like somebody's idea of like how people would get around in the future or something. They always look too they're, sleek they're very, and stylish yeah, and contoured. Very, yeah, they're very stylized. There's something cool about classic roller skates. Just, you know, it's got that retro feel. That's right, especially now. Yeah. Um, well, I want to ask you one question at the end here that we've been asking everybody this season, which is uh, if you could be endowed with a superpower, what would that be and why? Oh, that's such a good question. It's been interesting to hear the different answers. Oh, I'm sure you hear a lot of invisible. Yes, that's the number one. Probably six people have said that. Of and we don't allow flying, I should say, for the record. Flying oh, is vetoed. For me, I think a superpower um, would be x-ray vision. <laughs> that's what one of the last guests said a few oh, episodes cool. ago. But and he I said because like he wanted to see boobs. He's a comedian. He was just trying oh, to Oh, very good. Out. Well, I have a lot of respect <laughs> for that. I do too. Who doesn't very want to honest, see boobs? Yeah. But for me, I'd like to see, I'd like to be able to have like special x-ray vision that I could see the ailments. Oh, cool. Be able to scan people for. Nice. Their sort diseases. of like a tricorder on Star Trek or something. Yeah, just tell yeah. you what's wrong with person. I'd love to be able to do that. That'd be rad. Yeah, man. Imagine how many people you could help with that. Someday. <laughs> well, that's a very uh, sort of answer I would expect from somebody like you, since you seem like such a positive person and you helped so many people when you were dealing with cancer. Um, I will remind everybody again to keep an eye out for Champion. It's certainly aptly named because you're a remarkable woman and I appreciate your time more than you could ever know. So thank you thank so much. Thank you so much. This has been a real joy. I appreciate thank you. that you um, wanted I'll to I'll send you the link when it's up and hopefully you can share it. Okay. But um, tell me about your super group too. <laughs> I will. I'm going to be thinking about it now. I'm going to be obsessed. Right on. All right. Well, virtual okay. high five. Virtual high five. Peace. Bye. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. <laughs>